I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this is our final episode of 2018. How fitting that we should end it with Coach Todd Whittem, who has been a regular on the podcast over the last year or so, and I'm thrilled to be able to close out the year with one more conversation with Todd. Todd and I exchange text messages pretty much uh, several days a week, actually, and are constantly discussing different topics and points of conversation that we can bring to the podcast that we feel will be of interest to the Parenting Aces audience. This episode is particularly um, poignant to me because we are going to be talking about what this generation of players needs, what sets them apart, and what we as parents and what coaches need to be doing to help them reach their full potential. So I'm thrilled for Todd to share his perspectives on that. You'll notice that we mentioned a couple of things in our conversation that will be referenced in the show notes. So I hope you'll take a look at those notes. Also, I wanted to say that since this is our final episode of 2018, yet the year isn't quite finished, I hope you'll use the next few weeks to go back and listen to any of the episodes that you may have missed. You can find all of our archived podcasts on parentingaces.com, or you can find them on iTunes. And We've had some unbelievably great conversations over the course of the past year, and I'd hate to think that you missed any of them. So for now, I want you to enjoy my conversation with Todd. I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, a very happy Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, whatever holidays you may be celebrating, and a happy new year. And I'll be back with you in January to kick off 2019. Have a great year, a great holiday, and thank you for being a loyal supporter of Parenting Aces. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation one last time for 2018 with Coach Todd Whittem. Well, Todd Whittem, it is only fitting that we close the 2018 Parenting Aces podcast season with you because I think you have been my most consistent guest this year. So thanks for doing the show yet again. Well, thank you, Lisa, once again for inviting me on the show. And uh, of course, I enjoy every minute of it or else uh, we wouldn't have this show. So it's, uh, it is very fitting that we're ending the year on, with the last show together. Yep, I love it. So you and I were talking before I hit the record button and we both recently watched a video about millennials and what we as the generation or a few generations in my case, older than them can do to help them be successful. And it ties into tennis. And the reason it ties into tennis, I think, is because of some things you and I have been chatting about offline in terms of mentality, in terms of entitlement, in terms of um, wannabeism, and how social media plays into all of that, and what the coach's role is in all of that, and the parent's role. And so I thought we could dig a little deeper into that 
in this final show of the year, especially as we have the ITF transition tour looming over us to go into effect January 1st of 2019. Um, and honestly, it's, it's players of that millennial generation that are being impacted by the transition tour. So let's jump into this. And I would love for you to share your thoughts as a coach and a former player on what's happening with this generation of kids. Well, you know, for, for the viewers and, and, and the listeners, um, you know, I, I started coaching in, in 2010 with one student privately um, after I got off the tour. And uh, I've definitely seen a little bit of a change. And, and, and so I thought this would be a very, very good show um, for us to, to speak about these, these different things that, that I'm seeing. Um, you know, the, for, for what I can tell you is that for a large, large chunk of, of my day is trying to develop the proper mindset, the proper mentality. And then when you, when you have that, then you can really start to have some great sessions and great work with, with a, a developing junior player. Um, if you don't develop that great mentality of it could be respect or, or discipline or concentration or and, and kids being entitled, those things, then you're, you're going to struggle to see some really big advance, advancements in, in their tennis game. And not only that, but also in their brain development. So are you having kids come to you that don't have those skills? They're, they haven't learned those skills at home or in school? Absolutely. I'm, I'm seeing it more as, as the norm of children that they want things maybe a little too easy. They, they, they maybe don't want to do things over and over again. And, and, and tennis is proper repetitions all the time until, until you have that muscle memory where you don't have to think about these little details. And, and so, you know, the kids that, that do well in tennis, they, they have these skills in, in their brain that they're willing to, to keep trying and keep going after it day after day, ball after ball, hour after hour until they can accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. So it really definitely, definitely comes from the home and the parenting. And, and then it also depends on if, if your child is really, really willing to, to go after it minute after minute, ball after ball, hour after hour. So it really comes from that individual as well. So what do you think is happening at home that kids are not learning these skills? Well, I, th- I mean, I you're think- a parent now you've got two children and you know, your kids are young, but I I'm assuming that, you know, as a coach and as a parent of young kids, you're learning from the families that come work with you. Absolutely. I mean, my, my, my generation, that of tennis players that I grew up with, the, the mentalities were, were definitely different than, than today's generation. You know, technology has changed um, tremendously. Kids, kids are, are kids and, and not only kids, but everyone in general, th- things are happening a lot faster. And in tennis development for the most part, doesn't happen that fast. It, it, it takes years and years of, of mental development and, physical development and technical development and, and so many things 
tactical development, to name another one. And, and, it, and it takes a, a long time to, to start seeing these results. And so in, in today's day and age, people want things fast, you know, very fast. So when you, when you turn on your phone, on your smartphone, and, and, and you're on social media and you're scrolling around, and maybe you see something you want to read or look at, and, and then you start scrolling around, and then you go on Amazon and you want to purchase something and it's delivered to your, to your house in two days and you don't even have to leave your house. Um, you know, so society really has, has changed quite a bit, but in terms of, of tennis, the tennis hasn't changed that much, but the the personalities have, right? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they definitely have. And, And so what, what, what Pierre and I are, are, are dealing with many times on a daily basis are, you know, the keep, you know, basically respect, you know, um, making sure that the children are respectful to you know, to everyone and, and that they're, they're keeping their mouths quiet when, when, when we're trying to coach them and they're absorbing everything that we're telling them to do. I'm making sure on a daily basis, and this happened yesterday with a couple of the players, is that I want to make sure that their standard of play is at a premium each and every moment, that they're not checking out mentally and basically we call it going to Disneyland during practice and, and all of a sudden their level drops down big time. And, and so that's a big word that, that, that Pierre and I use every single day is where'd your standard of play go? Where, where, where did it go? And a lot of times they just, I lost focus, you know, they kind of became space cadets. And so they haven't learned how to bring the discipline of concentration for drill after drill, ball after ball. So many times that, that's exactly what we're working on. And, uh, and when you can do that, then you can see some great things. Yeah. Well, so how do you work on that? I mean, how, how do you teach a kid to stay focused on a tennis court, drill after drill, ball after ball? Cause it's, I mean, it's mindless repetition a lot of times. And, and by mindless, I mean that your mind just kind of goes away. And so you're saying that can't happen. The mind has to stay focused in order to see improvement. Well, as I've spoken about, whether it's in our podcasts or in in articles that I've written, is that every child has to be challenged, and each drill that you do with a child or or practice match or points or whatever, it has to be very productive, and they have to be challenged, and that's how you can keep them engaged. And so it could be like we've spoken about before; it could be hitting certain spots on a court, it could be working on maybe certain techniques or movements. It can be, you know, hitting a certain amount of balls in a row to certain spots. You know, it just really depends on each and every individual, but that's how you can keep them engaged. Now, if they're not productive and the kids are basically in Disneyland, um, you're going to get nothing out of them. And so what, what we're coaching every single day is how long can we stay engaged for? How long can we keep that intensity for each and every drill? And, when, and, and, and we're gauging that. And Mm -hmm. and so that's how we're gauging progress during practices. Now, if you're just going through drills and hitting a couple balls and and then the kid is staring into the clouds and none of this is getting accomplished, zero, it's not happening. Don't expect a lot and just be happy that your child is breaking a sweat and burning some calories because that's what's going on, which is great. As I've always said, it always depends on what you want out of your child's tennis and what they would want as well. But for me, my mindset is always to to get on the court and, and, and we're trying to do things 100% correct. And if we're not, then I'm not sure why we're there. And that's always our mindset. 
mindset with my family because it starts with with your parents and then as well with my coaches. So everyone was on the same page. There was nothing going half speed or 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 not a hundred percent to to not only with my family but also with my coaches. It was known that we're gonna go a hundred percent the whole time. And then when the session is over, we're very proud of what we accomplished that day and we go home and, and then we come back and we do it again. So what do you do if you notice a kid has, quote, gone to Disneyland? How do you handle that during a, a training day? Sure. So if, if, if that does happen, obviously I address it to them. Um, and and, and he, they, they tell me, oh, I became unfocused. And I tell them, okay. But if, if, they, if they cannot get their concentration back and their discipline, they, they sit down. And, 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 I, and I tell them, go sit down. And usually they're not happy about that. And we call it, I, I love going to NHL hockey games. So we call it the penalty box when they go sit down on the, uh, on the bench. Right. Just, just like they do in hockey. Right. right. And, and the re- and, and really the reason for that is, is not because I'm so upset with them. It's because if we're going to do this right and, and this particular child or, or children are not a hundred percent focused on what they're trying to accomplish, they're not becoming better. And so no one comes to me for their child to not become a better tennis player, to get better at certain skills. And so usually they sit down for a couple minutes. Not a problem with me. Every child can lose concentration and discipline. But then when they get back up, they're usually rocking and rolling and, and doing great things. So, so, you know, sometimes they need that little men- mental break or, you know, they just know that they're, that they're unfocused. And go sit down, rest your head. And, uh, and then come back out as a different player. And usually they do. You know, it's funny. I remember going to one of my son's training sessions with Craig Signorelli out in Malibu. And I sat on the side of the court and just, you know, kind of observed what was happening. And it was a, I'm pretty sure it was a one hour lesson, if I'm remembering properly. When my son came off the court, he said, my head hurts. And I said, what do you mean your head hurts? He said, I have never had to concentrate and think so hard on the tennis court as I just did this last hour and I'm exhausted. And it was the first time that I had ever seen a coach wear a kid out mentally in, in a drill or a lesson setting. And it was eye opening for me as a parent to see that. And what I'm hearing you say is this is how you run your drills every single day. It is challenging physically, but it is also challenging mentally. And for these kids to develop the mental muscle, the mental endurance to stay focused throughout your drills and lessons is a challenge, just like developing the physical endurance. You're 100 correct, and and I got to meet Craig when when I was uh, when I was playing on the ATP tour, and uh, and he's unbelievable, and I know he he's trained some phenomenal players, and I've heard him speak at, at some conferences that I, that I've listened to online, and and he's spot on. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's great. So it doesn't surprise me, and I can I can tell you, and I, and I've had these discussions with the players that that I'm that I'm training is that. You know, sometimes they ask me, what's the difference between a, a phenomenal junior and then a professional tennis player? And I tell them, well, it's really what you bring to the court every single day. 
Mm-hmm. And so a junior tennis player can be a little bit up and down mentally and still have a lot of success at the junior level. That's not the case when you're a professional tennis player. You're coming to work every single day and it's your job now. So that's right. a whole different that's a whole different ball game. And so I can tell you when I when I came out of college tennis and I turned professional, the matches were very draining mentally. But physically, they were they were fine. Obviously, I, I was in very good shape, and and uh, you know I had put in those those tough training hours physically on the court and off the court. But mentally, they they were very draining because at the professional level, if you make a mistake here and there, maybe only once or twice, you're losing that set. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have such tunnel vision concentration to be able to to sustain play at that type of level. And there's a reason why it's a highest level of tennis. It's no surprise. Right. I mean, it's funny. I, you know, as you're saying that, um, (laughs) Jack Sock and Sloan Stevens both come to mind as players who have historically kind of mentally gone away during matches. You know, you'll see them play a phenomenal string of games. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, where did he go? Where did she go? <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden the errors are there, the movement's not there, the shot selection goes off, you know, they're making, you know, bad choices in terms of shots. And um and I hear the commentators talk about that with those two players in particular on a pretty regular basis. So how do you get a junior player to the level where they can sustain the mental concentration through a, an entire match? And and for juniors, I mean, it may be two or three matches in a day. Right. Well, I, I can tell you about an instance that, that just happened actually yesterday at practice. So, you know, I, I've been training. The, the kids I'm training, I've been training them for quite some time. And, and, and as they were getting water, we, we – I had a little discussion with them and it was basically to the fact of, okay, with whatever drill we're doing guys is that I'm monitoring. See if, if you guys can sustain a level of tennis, what kind of standard of play are you bringing each and every drill day after day? Right. And so if they're making, if a child is making, if they've been trained by a certain coach for a certain amount of time and they come to practice, and they can't figure out how to make corrections on their own, you're, you're in trouble. And so I started seeing a little bit of that yesterday. And, and I had, and that's why I brought this up to them. I said, guys, I said, there's a reason when you guys first came here, we were giving a lot of information to you, to you guys, you know, to fix, you know, certain things and whatever it was for each and every player. Now, many times, if I see you miss a ball, I want to see an instant correction and that's how I know you're learning. And also that's how I, that's how I know that you can problem solve on your own. And then if you can't, then you need more additional coaching. So that's what I'm always monitoring. If I'm spoon feeding your child all the time, the same information, are they actually learning or am I just kind of holding their hand through this process? And then when they enter tournaments and have to come up, solve on their own can they actually do that because that's really what everyone's training for is to hopefully have better results in tournaments and and achieve their goals and dreams with their tennis so if a if a player misses a ball 
and then they get the same ball and they miss it and they miss it three or four times in a row, they don't understand either they're in Disneyland or <laughs> they do not understand, <laughs> right? They do not understand how to problem yeah. solve at, at that moment. So then you have to help them. So that's exactly what we were talking about on one of the changeovers yesterday. And so they, they fully understood. So if a player hits a ball short, do they understand how to hit the ball deeper when they spray it wide? Do they know how to bring it back in? And if they hit it late down the middle of the court, do they know how to then fix it? And so my, my, my question to these particular students was exactly what I'm talking about right now is when you miss a ball wide or you hit a ball short or you hit the ball in the middle of the court and you're not hitting, hitting these shots at, at specific targets, then how smart are you and, and, and how well do you problem solve to fix it on the next ball? Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you have a smart, disciplined, problem-solving tennis players if you can see that. And so that, that's, that's what I was kind of regulating and monitoring yesterday, for example, at one of our practices. One of the most common conversations that I hear from tennis parents is, I just don't get it. My kid does so well in practice. They hit, you know, 50 balls to the target. They move well. And then they get into a tournament and they look like a beginner. What's going on? And it occurs to me as you're talking about the little chat you had with your players that what's going on is these kids aren't being taught how to problem solve in practice. Yeah. I mean, it depends what kind of environment they're in as well. So, I mean, I I can feed balls all day long too and make sure techniques are beautiful. I mean, I can do that. A lot of people can do that. Right. Um, But how competitive are their practices? And even a cross court drill can be very competitive. It depends what the coach wants to make of it and the children as well. So, to to me, I want to see kids competing. I want to see them uncomfortable. I want to I want to see them see if they can, you know, thrive under under what they would consider pressure, but really haven't put any pressure on them. But kind of their their self esteem and, and self worth sometimes is, sometimes is on on that drill, right? Because they're competing against the person across the net. So I want to see how they respond and how they react to these certain situations. But I can tell you that. If your child is not in a competitive environment and all they're doing is drilling or bucket drilling or someone's hand feeding them and, and that's the basis of their training, do not expect them to be an unbelievably good player competitively in, in, in tournaments when they're under the gun and they're feeling stress. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Well, I think this is a good point to transition to a conversation that, again, you and I were having offline about wannabe players and expectations of parents and expectations of players and what you as a coach are expected to do. And so I'd love to, to talk about that. You, you've shared lots of stories with me, and I don't know which ones you're comfortable sharing publicly, but um, I'll leave that up to you. But let's, let's chat about that because, again, with this ITF transition tour looming in a, just a few weeks – the wannabes are going to be weeded out very quickly. There's just not going to be a place for them. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's all different levels of tennis, Lisa, and from, from all different levels of junior tennis to all different levels of college tennis. And then as well as professional tennis, 
and the results, the results of, of, of certain players that, that they just don't lie. I mean, you can, you can look at it any which way you want, but at the end of the day, it's, you're, you're monitoring the, basically whether a, a, a person is progressing or, or not based on their results. I mean, it's just the way it is. Right. right. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where it's at. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not that complicated and the process is, is, is usually a slow one to developing a great tennis player. And it depends on the patience of, of the parents and, and the, and the, and the players and even the coaches. So, um, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of level of, of play for, for many different levels that that's kind of, that's kind of where it's at, you know, and, uh, uh, you monitor, how a child is is progressing or not based on based on their their tournaments and their tournaments are are the examinations right mm-hmm. your homework are, are your are your practices and then the tournament is the examination and and you and you from a coaching perspective I go to tournaments and, and watch watch the watch the kids that I train compete I want to see if they're applying what we've been working on in practice and if they're not then we're not there yet and we still have to go back and 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 continue fixing what we're fixing on a daily basis. So, I mean, one of the things you and I talked about is this whole aspect of, you know, you have a kid who has gone through juniors, maybe has gone through college, um and at the end of college decides that okay, I'm going to be a professional tennis player now. And they haven't played any professional events or if they have, they haven't won any matches to earn ranking points yet. They call themselves a professional tennis player and you know, they, they want to go try and make a go of it. How as a coach, do you handle somebody like that, that comes to you and says, you know, Hey, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a pro now. Help me. Sure. Well, first of all, I, I ask them, you know, how, how, how much how much time do we have, and and is is this is this someone that went to college, Lisa, or, yeah. or not? Yeah, I'm saying somebody that's gone to college. You know, they're now 21, 22, 23. They've they've graduated, right. and yeah, but they they don't have any ATP or WTA points. They've not had success at the professional level to date. And they're coming to you looking to make that leap. Sure. Well, I will, they need to be, if I've never, if I haven't, if I hadn't seen them play during their junior or, or collegiate days, then, you know, I mean, basically I need to see them compete and I need to, I need to put them through a workout to, to see what needs to be worked on. And do they, do they actually have capability of becoming a better tennis player? And, and if, and if they, if they don't, you know, the, the, there are players that they can work extremely hard and they're, they're, they're capped. They, they don't have possibly room for improvement. That's not going to be for the case of many, for the parents that are listening to this, that's not going to be the case of a developing junior player because they have so much to work on. Mm-hmm. But many times a junior player goes to college and they've played all their, all their college tennis and everything. And the habits are set and, and everything. And so there might not be a lot more room for improvement. I don't know. That's why you have to take a look and, and see, and see what's going on. And, um, but in terms of transitioning 
to professional tennis after after having a college career, it de- the it depends on how much time you have. It depends on the finances. It depends on it depends on your support system. It depends on physically where you're at as well. And so all these things have to be have to be looked at and then you have to devise a plan and 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 you have to reach certain goals by 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 a certain time and if you are achieving those goals then then you then you should continue but if you're not then you may want to find a new line of work it just really depends on what kind of support system you have and how much time you're really willing to give it Mm-hmm. And what's your responsibility as a coach to somebody like that, that, that you watch them play, you determine that, you know, they have reached their potential. They're playing as well as they're going to play. Um, but maybe they have the financial means to go out and give it a go. Where, how do you handle that as a coach with the player and also with the player's family? Well, it depends realistically what, what, what they would like, I mean, what, what they want out, out of this. So one, one of the things that, 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 that kind of bugs me a little bit is many times you hear of a, 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 college, a college player who graduates college and plays their four years of college tennis, and then they want to go out, and, and it bugs, bugs kind of the heck out of me, is I want to go try the tour. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Trying the tour and actually making a career out of tennis are two totally different things. If you want to go try the tour and you want to go backpacking through Europe and go enjoy and, and play a bunch of tennis out there, then that's one thing. But making a career out of tennis and really becoming a professional is a whole different ballgame. So when someone says, I'm going to try the tour, that, 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 that's great. Give it, give it six months, give it a year, go, go visit a, a lot of different places all throughout the world. And then you know, maybe, maybe you go get a grad degree or you go get a job. That's one thing. Now, if you're going to become a real serious professional tennis player, that's a whole different ordeal. And, and so that these are the things sometimes that I hear when, when, when kids come out of college. And so we have to make that very clear. Like what, what are we trying to accomplish here? And so if a kid says, no, 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 I want to make a career of it. You know, I, I want to be number one in the world. Um, you know, I'm going to put the work in, I'm going to do everything necessary, but still you look at them and, and as a professional coach, make the determination that this probably isn't going to happen. I mean, you know, it's one thing when they're kids and they say they want to be number one in the world. It's another thing when you've got a 22, 23 year old saying that. I agree that, that, that's, you know, I mean, that, that, that's why you, you have to, you have to know and, and understand where you want to be on a certain time frame. And for example, obviously I played high level junior tennis. I played very high level college tennis. And so my plan was when, when I came out of college and the plan was to go two years to college and then turn professional. And there had to be certain goals that were met. And they were. So then I was able to then go test my skills at a higher level, which was obviously the ATP tour. Mm-hmm. And so the plan, and this is, you know, this, uh, parents that are listening to this will probably find this interesting was it was a five-year plan to see if Todd can do great things 
on the ATP tour. And if he can't reach these goals by five years, then you're retiring. And it was very black and white and it was from Pierre and, and we understood this. My goal was not to be hanging around, traveling all over the place, not being productive and, uh, you know, just, just playing tennis. And that was just never in my heart and my mind. It was, we're going to do this full out. I'm going to give it my best go at it. And if we don't reach these goals, then, then it's okay. I'm going to hang up the rackets and I'm going to move on. And we gave it our best shot and we, and we have uh, no regrets about it. And, and we were all, uh, we were all fine about it. And so I played six years on the tour and really I played an extra year because the first five years, unfortunately I had major injuries every single year for five years. And I'm not talking about, you know, I got a little, little sprain here and there. And no, I'm talking about injuries where you tear muscles, you're out three months, then it takes you weeks to come back. And then you have to go out and play tournaments. And by then now you're really not getting your act together until maybe four or five months. And so almost half your year is gone. So that happened to me the first five years when I was playing on the ATP tour. So that's unlucky. It's unfortunate. It is what it is. It's a very difficult sport. So I said that I, w- that I wanted to play one more year to give it one more shot. And if I had one more major injury, then I, I was going to retire. And so I-, I ended up having some great results. But then, unfortunately, I hurt my hip again. And, and at that moment, I knew in my heart that I didn't want to have surgery. And I felt like my legs were actually slowing down a little bit at 26 years old. And then when you do have hip surgery, you're definitely not moving any faster when you come back from a hip surgery. That's definitely you know, no, no doubt about that. So then I felt very at peace that, that I was going to retire from the ATB tour. But there were goals, and those goals were met over and over and over again throughout my tennis career from when I was a kid to, to when I was on the tour. And so that's how you can monitor it. And, and that's how you monitor whether the child is progressing. And if they're not, then what were the circumstances where maybe they weren't progressing? So if you looked at some of my rankings, maybe on the ATP tour, it, it would show that, you know, he wasn't really progressing. But then if you, if you looked at the players that I was competing against and beating when I was out there, you'd say, wow, this guy's playing some great tennis. Now, unfortunately, physically, my body couldn't sustain a whole year of, of, of that type of training and, and tennis on, on the ATP tour. And you know what? That's okay. I can live with that. You know, that, that's, that's just reality. So, you know, but, but each and every player is different, but you have to have goals and there has to be time frames that, that are, that, that are set. And, and are you reaching those goals by that certain time? Then you deserve to continue to keep going, going about it and, and things are going well and, and you're progressing. Right. And I mean, it sounds to me as though, and and I know this is the case because you've said this in in previous conversations, that a lot of that came from your coach, Pierre, that he understood what you needed and what your family needed to do in order to maximize your potential, maximize the financial resources that were available to you, and have a plan around your tennis. And so you were very fortunate to land with not just a competent coach, but a really intelligent coach who understood what it took to develop a player, what it took to transition from juniors to college, then from college to the pro tour, and understood how to tell when it was time to, to call it quits. But there are a lot of coaches out there that 
don't understand those things. How can parents make sure that they're not being sold a bill of goods? Sure. Well, it, it, it depends on who, you, who you've hired. Have you hired someone that's only giving groups and lessons or have you hired someone that's, you know, you know, all in with, with your child? Those are two totally different things. From day one, Pierre and his partner were all in, not only with me, but with the kids that they were training. So they were help, helping to manage the careers of not only me, but, but also the, the other players that they were working with, whether they were great amateur players, collegiate or, or professional players. That, that was what they got. That, that, that's what they got most joy in doing. And, and it's, it's kind of what I know as well, because I grew up like that and that's what they know. So that's what I try to, to provide and, and deliver every single day is that this isn't just a, a tennis lesson or this isn't just a group lesson. This is, these are, these are skills. These are things that, that these children should be learning, not only for their tennis, but for their life. Mm-hmm. And so this is the way I was brought up. So when, when I was going to the ATP tour and I was getting injured to me, that that's, that, that that's a telltale sign that, you know what, the results are really good, but the body isn't really good. And so it's, it's, it's just reality. It's, it's, it's just what it is. And so, you know what, Hey, you've given it your best shot. There shouldn't be any regrets and you can walk away proud of, of what you've done. You've had amazing moments as a, as a amateur and a professional and, and you move on to the next stage of your life. And, and so one of, one of my fears was hanging around on the tour and, and not being productive and not getting better and just kind of hoping that things were going to go well. And, and that, that, that's something that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to waste any time. And so that's why I pulled, actually pulled the plug on, on, on myself when I was 26, which is still pretty young. And my, and actually some of my family members were saying, no, 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 you should, you should, you know, get, have a surgery and, and go back out and, and, and get back out there and, and compete again. But in my heart, I knew, I knew that, that it was over. I knew that I was slowing down a little bit. I had put in a lot of very tough training hours throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just knew, I just knew that, that it was time that, you know, it was time for, for, for me to move on and no one could tell me which way or, you know, to, to go. And, uh, and you have to know, you know, what, what, what you want in your heart. And that, and that's what I felt. And that was it. Right. Do you think that social media is contributing to some of these kids maybe staying out there longer than they should? Um, I mean, it's cool to be able to say you're a professional tennis player. It's cool to post pictures to your Instagram from all these remote sites around the world. You know, are, are people staying out there longer than they should, despite the fact that their body's telling them it's time to stop or despite the fact that the results are telling them it's time to stop? And is that, you know, yet another one of these crazy things that's going on with this millennial generation of kids. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's generational, if that's a word, but um, I can tell you that what's been going on for many years is that professional tennis players at wh- whichever level they're at, 
they could be very single-minded, so to speak, which from a young age, they've played tennis. They've been very good players for a very long time. And they want to stay playing tennis for as long as they can because many times they, they really don't know anything else. And it's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe they haven't, they haven't studied well, right? They don't have a, a great background of education. All they know is that tennis court, those tennis balls, and going week to week playing tennis. And so that was always a fear of mine. And um, to, to tell you the truth, even though I had a great background, I had great education, I had my, my career was managed where I had three full scholarships of college that were taken care of when I entered the ATP tour. So you see people that, you know, their children are going out to play the ATP tour and then they're, they, they don't know how or when or when, when their child is going to finish, how they're going to finish their college degree. Mine was taken care of. Again, thank you, Pierre, that this was all managed so that I was not taking a tremendous risk when I decided to leave the University of Miami and turn professional. I had three full scholarship educations that were covered so that this was not a big risk. And whenever I wanted to stop the tour, I could go back and get my college degree. Mm-hmm. So like I've said, you know, who's, who's, who's managing the tennis career and also who's managing, you know, that, that person and hopefully for the best interest of, of that, of that person. Right. Right. So, I mean, as a coach, you know, when you get these kids that come in that have, that are maybe coming to you, cause I know you do get a lot of kids that come in at age 16, 17, and they're making that push to get ready for college you don't have a lot of time to work with them to kind of reprogram some of the mental pieces of developing the player. You know, these kids have had 16, 17 years of thinking a certain way, approaching their tennis a certain way, approaching their schooling a certain way. What have you found to be your biggest challenge as a coach to help these kids kind of turn it around? Well, I, I think I think one of the one of the tough parts is obviously the, the the habits, but what the parents would like and the and the child would 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 like out of their tennis, many many times it's it's not on it's not on the same wavelength of actually where their level is at at that particular time. Okay. Be it's, specific. Be specific. Sure. Well, you have UTR and you have tennis recruiting and you can go on those websites and you can go see where your child is at in terms of their tennis. And then depending on, you know, obviously that the vast majority of kids are going to go to college, you can then go and see the level of your child and compare it to, to where the kids at their level are going to college. And then if you want to do even more research, you can go see where they're playing in terms of on, on the collegiate team, where they're fitting into the lineups. So for, for example, we've spoken about Lisa outside of the show is that there are many kids that, that their heads may be really big. They may maybe be a little arrogant. 
And their first dosage of reality is when they walk through that door in college and they figure out where they're going to fit into that lineup. And so that's why I speak about you can really find out how good that player was at that certain academy because many parents can 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 pay for their child to go to a certain college or maybe maybe that child academically has done very well so they can go to a to a fantastic school but it doesn't really get publicized where they fit into that lineup on that college tennis team right. and so this is many times a rude awakening for for junior players that they may have been superstars in their academy. They may have been superstars in their region. But all of a sudden, they're going to college tennis now, and they may not be superstars on their college tennis team. And I've seen this over and over and over again. I've seen social media, because I, I look all the time to see what's going on and, and, and those types of things. And, and the kids are they're very cool, and, and, you know, and, and they're doing what they think is quite well in their tournaments. And, and they've signed up to go to great universities and everything. And then their first dosage of reality is, well, you might not be starting or you're really fighting for that last spot on that college tennis team. And then all of a sudden they're not such superstars anymore. And that, and that, that kind of can, can definitely hurt their psyche quite a bit. And, um, you know, and then they, they go from there and right. uh, you see it all the time. You know, it's, it's nothing new. You see it all the time. And, um, and uh, whatever, maybe maybe the coaches haven't spoken, or or, or the players are living in, in Disneyland or Fantasyland. But uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's 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 kind of the way that the way that I see it. And and uh, and all of a sudden, they're they're not looking so cool anymore. Right. Well, you know, a few weeks ago, I had a podcast with uh, Jordan Belga, who went to University of Florida, and yeah he told his story and it is very much what you were just speaking about. You know, here was a kid who was number one in the country in the 12 and unders and he gets to Florida and he's not in the lineup. (laughs) And I mean, and what that did to him mentally, you know, he spoke very honestly about that in the podcast. And so it is a common story and it's a sad story. And I think it's one that both parents and coaches need to be more aware of and help prepare these kids a little bit better. And, and really to me, it's more the coach's responsibility because parents don't want to squash their kids' dreams. I mean, that is, that's not our job. You know, our job is to encourage our children's dreams, but the coaches have to be the ones providing the reality checks and it's a fine line to walk between, you know, dimming a child's hopes and dreams or, or squashing them all together, but also preparing them for the reality of whatever that next step is going to be in their tennis journey. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, since, since 2010, the players I've trained many times, they'll, they'll show up and say, Hey, this one or that one's going to this school and, and, and this and that. And, and obviously the first thing that, that I do is I go look up their record. Right. And, 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 and I go to see, you know, in my mind, if it's realistic that they're going to be a big contributor to that tennis program. Mm-hmm. And so one, one, one of the things that, that, that I do 
when I, when I'm helping the kids in, in, in my system, you know, go off to college tennis is we need to make sure that it's a great fit and they understand where they're going to fit in, in this college tennis system. I don't want any surprises. Right. And, and we lay it all on the table. And, and so I want to make sure that if they're fighting for a spot in the starting lineup, they understand that they're fighting for maybe a five and six spot. Are they going to be a, a stud in the lineup where they're playing, you know, one, one or two or even, or even three. Okay. Then they understand that maybe they want to go maybe to a little bit of a higher level school. And then you got to weigh the academics as well. Okay. Well, what's more important? Is it the tennis more important or the academics and, you know, and, and also the coaching and, and the teammates and, and, and there's many things to, to, to go over to make sure that it's a proper college placement. Well, and transfers. Right. But, and one of the things that you cannot control though, Todd, is the fact that if a college coach is doing his or her job properly, they are continuing to try and recruit players to play one and two at their school, right? So even after your child has committed to go there and sees, you know, the roster as it stands on that date, that roster could change significantly before your kid even sets foot on campus the next fall. And so that's, you know, there's so many factors with college tennis now that, are out of control of the parent are out of control of the player and are out of control of the junior coach. And so finding a school where I think where you're going to be happy despite what happens with the tennis court and the tennis team is really important too. Absolutely. It it depends what, what, what you're really looking for. Um, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know that that's where that's where I think your tennis coach really needs to needs to come in and and there's there's you know and then obviously they they know their student as well very well and maybe they should know that know the college coach as well and get to know them and really mm-hmm. realistically know where they could potentially fit in. Um, so it's. Uh, you know, it's, these are all things that, that need to be discussed and, 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 uh, and, and managed. And so you've had, I'm sure, situations where you've had kids come to you, like you said, that, that come in quite arrogant. They, you know, may have been studs in their section or whatever. Um, and you have to be the one to provide that reality check. What does that look like? I mean, what's the conversation like? Well, I can tell you that in, in my generation of, of players that I grew up with and it, it, it was the Andy Roddick's and the Robbie Gineppri's and the Taylor Dent's of the world. Um, I could go on and on. And I mean, I could, I could list 20 or 30 players that they either went to college or, or they turned pro right at 18 years old and, and, and they were studs and my, my generation that, that, that I grew up with, if, if we didn't go to college, then we were going to major division one universities and we were, and we were starting out as most likely one or two on those tennis teams. Okay. Th- those, and, and, and people knew that, that we were, we were going to become a professional, maybe not at that moment, 
mm-hmm. but that that we were on a pro track and, and that just college tennis was, was going to be a stepping stone for us to become a professional tennis player, right? Kevin Anderson's no, no different. And there, there were ph- phenomenal players, whether they were going the college route or they were turning professional at 18, at 18 years old, that, that was, that was a, a reality. It was just more of a matter of, of when, um, so, you know, in terms, in terms of, of children, maybe being, maybe arrogant or too cocky, you know, it, to me, an individual that, that I love to train is one that's respectful and one that's humble and they're letting their racket do the talking. And that's what we saw, I think a little bit more in my generation of, of players. And they weren't, you know, flaunting on social media. None None of that stuff was around. There wasn't all this excess basically what I consider garbage around all, all the time. We were focused on our school. We were focused on our tennis, focused on our fitness. And we were focused on one day we're going to be a professional tennis player. And how are we going to go about doing that each and every day? But for, for the kids today, they have so many other things that are, that are going on. And so their, their, their brains are, are all over the place. And so you have to try to teach them these skills and, and kind of hone them in to what is important. And I have these discussions quite often is that the technology and I ask them on your cell phone, explain to me what, what that does for your life. Does it enhance your life at all? What, what is so beneficial on that cell phone? And, and they can't really tell me. I said, I can understand you using it for emergencies or getting in touch with your parents or those types of things. But other than that, does it do anything for your life? And they all say, no, it doesn't. It's just a distraction. That's really, that's really what it is. And so many of the kids, they go, they go about their day and they're very distracted. And, and so that, that's, that's what we're working with every single day is that we're, we're trying to, we want the kids to be humble. We want them to be respectful. We want them to be focused on, on their goals and everything. And, and then we can train them properly. But if, if they're in Disneyland and they're not focused and they're undisciplined, well, we're going to discipline them because you've hired me to, to try to help your child achieve their, their goals and dreams. And so I'm going to assess many different things of whether they're good or not so good. And then we're going to attack it with our best foot forward. Mm-hmm. So when you first meet a kid that comes in with that arrogance, how do you, I mean, what do you say to them? How do you start the conversation? Um, get on the court. <laughs> um, I mean, do you here, start like serving as hard as you can to them and like put them in their place or like, I, no, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the kids that come to me, Lisa, I put them through an assessment and that assessment is very tough. And, and, and there's certain things that I want done in that assessment. And many times they're struggling to do what I'm asking them to do. And so right then and there, their mouths are, are, are quiet, mm-hmm. right? They're, 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 they're not talking too much at that point, whether maybe they're a little physically tired or, or they can't actually do what I'm asking them to do on a consistent level, mm-hmm. which I think is a very high level of tennis. Right. And so if they come to me and they say, I want to go to this school or that school and, and these types of things, I say, okay, you know, do your warm up and everything. And, and we're, and we're going to, you know, let's get on the court and let me see what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And right then and there, many times they're struggling to get through what I'm asking them to do. And I'm not talking about, I'm just 
you know, basically just running them into the ground with drills. They're, they're, uh, that's not exactly what, what's going on. What I, what I want to see are so many different things, but they're, many times they're struggling to get through, to me, what is basic high-performance training. And so in your experience, is that pretty much all it takes for them to kind of see the light and understand that either they have to change their goal or step up the intensity of their training? I mean, kids are pretty perceptive, right? I mean, you know, a lot of times you don't really actually have to say anything, Right. Well, it's it's like your son when when she went to have that great lesson with Craig. Yeah. Right? He was probably in shock. Right. Craig has is an unbelievable coach. He's trained amazing players. I know him quite well. Right. So it's this is this is kind of this is kind of no different. There many times they're a little bit in shock mentally. They're in shock physically, and and technically they're a little bit in shock that maybe they can't do or they're struggling to do what I'm asking them to do, which to me is basic, good, high performance tennis training. So then they have two options. They can either say, Oh my, I'm not going to be able to do this and, 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 and go to the, the type of schools that, that I would love to go to, or I better get my act together. I know deep down that I haven't been doing this properly for many years and so I have this given amount of time to really hit this hard for this to become a reality. They have mm-hmm. those two options, basically. Right. And I mean, so my point, I guess, in asking you all this is that in, a, in many cases, it's not necessary to, to actually say the words, you need to step up or you need to change your goal. Because by putting them through these exercises, the kids are recognizing on their own that something's got to change. Either the goal has to change or the work ethic has to change in order to get where they say they want to be. Right. So, you know, and, and I've said this before on the podcast when with different guests, you know, I used to be really concerned that my son had set his goals too high and I didn't know what to do about that because I didn't want to see him disappointed and the people that had children that were older than mine kept telling me, don't worry, he's going to adjust, he's going to recognize, he's going to see his buddies doing things, and all of this is going to take care of itself without you having to say one word. And they were right. Those people were right. I never had to say anything. My son saw what was going on, saw the reality, and was able to make the adjustments on his own. And that was a really important step for him to go through in this journey. And I think it's an important step for, for many of these kids is to understand the correlation between the amount of work, the intensity of the work, and the amount of effort they're willing to put forth, and how that translates into achieving goals that they've set. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean... Going going back, and and I said this to to people before, is that most of the time people are not calling me because their child's tennis is going so well. They're <laughs> right. looking right? <laughs> right. They're not calling me to say, "Hey, Todd, dang it! <laughs> I hope you're having a wonderful day. 
Um, my child is doing this and this and this, and things are going just fantastic. And I love everything that's going on. Uh, that's not the usual phone call. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So it's usually, you know, you know, maybe, maybe they're struggling in certain aspects or, you know, whatever the case shall be. Um, but my goal is that, okay, we, I do an assessment and then I tell them these are the things that need to be attacked on a daily basis every single day for your child, for their goals to become a reality. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. And hopefully they take my word for it. Usually they do. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's it. And, and this is what I think needs to be done. And, uh, you know, I've done it plenty of times already. So, you know, it's, uh, to me, it's it's what works, and sometimes honesty may hurt, but that's how I know about going. That's how I go about my life. And if it was my child, that's what I would want as well. I would want the coach to be a hundred percent honest. And if my child really wants to achieve their goals and dreams, then this is the path that that they're going to have to go through for it to become a reality. And 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 that's it. You know, and, and, and you go about it day after day and, uh, and, and, and you work hard at it and that's what it is. Yeah. No, that's well put. I mean, it is a journey. It is a long journey and it takes work every single day. That doesn't mean that you don't take time off because everybody needs time off, but you have to keep the long game in mind and, and work toward that. So Todd, as always, a great conversation. Thank you so much for doing the show one last time in 2018. And uh, I wish you and your family a lovely holiday season, lovely new year. And I'm sure we will be chatting come January about all sorts of new stuff. Excellent, Lisa. Yep. I've had a great time with you this year and I look forward to many great podcasts with you in the future. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Parenting Aces podcast, and we'll catch you in 2019. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.